You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. One of the things that I experienced growing up in church, and I think if anybody's been around the church at all in their experience in their life, you start to hear things that you sort of accept as real or as just common in the church. And there's a lot of things that uh, become normal for us to hear and even say. But when you stop and think about it, you realize it has nothing to do with the Lord. So let me just give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. There are certain sayings in Christianity or in the church that actually have nothing to do with Jesus and have nothing to do with the Lord and aren't found in the Bible. Some common ones are, are, are phrases like this. God helps those who helps themselves, who help themselves. You guys have heard that, right? God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. Not, not the, the, even the idea of that is not in the Bible. Somebody with good intentions, I'm sure, a long time ago in the history of the world thought, this is how, this is how we, we know God is by doing for ourselves, sort of manifest destiny, right? Like that's the, that's the idea there. That's not in the Bible at all. There's another one that's really common that I heard when I was growing up. And again, well-intentioned, but has nothing to do with God. Cleanliness is next to godliness, right? We've heard that one as well, probably. That is not found in the Bible. There's nothing even remotely close to that in the Bible because the idea is this. We can't clean ourselves up before God. There's no way for us to to clean ourselves up to present ourselves to a holy and righteous God in a way that he'll accept us. That's why we believe in Jesus. Now, there's here in Scripture today, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there's an idea here that I want to correct. I want to make sure that as we study the Scripture and as we know know, know the Word of God, we do it in truth. And so here's the big idea that perhaps you've heard if you've been in the church at all. I know I've heard this. I know I even thought this at one time and had to have it corrected in my thinking. And here's the idea that sometimes we can fall under. It's this saying, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's the idea. Perhaps you've heard that preached before. Perhaps you've heard that somewhere. Maybe it's been on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. Or maybe it's just a thought that somehow has come out of the idea of church or the idea of the Bible. But I'm here to tell you today, that's not what the Bible says. This idea of God won't give you more than you can handle doesn't appear anywhere in Scripture. And so I want to make sure that today we sort of correct that idea. If that's something that we have locked in our brain, God won't give you more than you can handle. I want to correct that. Not for the purpose of discouraging anybody's idea of God or perhaps their own history in the faith at all, but it's to make sure that we're seeking the Lord in truth. Now, here's the whole idea of seeking the Lord in truth. We as human beings, we just read in the Psalm, Psalm 63, a representation of the emotion of a person, the author of that psalm, talking about deep things and talking about people who are persecuting them, but also talking about raising their hands to the Lord and just loving God's word. There's a lot of emotion in that. And that's just the reality is that we as humans have emotions. They absolutely uh, govern a lot of how we respond to things and how we act in our life. And that's just a part of who we are. 
But we're told something by Jesus. Mark this in Luke chapter 10. You could look at it later. We're not going to read it right now. But Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus tells us that we are supposed to love God with our hearts, emotionally, but also with our minds. And with our soul and with our strength, Jesus is saying we're supposed to love God with everything that we have. So part of doing that is knowing God, understanding God. Yes, loving him emotionally for the things that he's done for us and who he is, but also knowing God. And and the idea of knowing God is this. It's the word theology. It's simply the study of God. Now, I was also raised in an environment where the idea of theology was sort of frowned upon. It was sort of looked down upon because a lot of the experience that people were having in the churches that I grew up in and sort of was raised in was very emotional. It was very much about we want to feel the spirit moving, right? And I grew up in an environment as a kid where I was just like, man, if I got goosebumps at church, that meant it was a good Sunday. Whoa, something was going on because I was moved emotionally. But here's the truth, again, about what Jesus says. Man, we're to love the Lord with our hearts for sure, but with our minds as well. And so the idea of theology is not some big academic word that's hard to access. It's not something that's over your heads. It's quite simply learning about God, knowing who God is. There's a real famous author within the faith named J.I. Packer who wrote a a book called Knowing God really well-known in, in, in academic circles, but, but it's called Knowing God. Here's what J.I. Packer, he just passed away last week. Here's what he has to say about this. Theology means the study of God. And if we are to love God as we are commanded by Jesus with all our minds, then we need to be in the business of theology. I just want to encourage you today that as we come to open up our Bibles and, and read from the Scripture, We're doing theology. We're learning about God. And the reason that we want to correct misconceptions or quotes that we've possibly learned over time and heard culturally within the church is so that we know God for who he is in truth. This is the kind of theology that we want to do and not just expect to be moved emotionally but be moved in our knowledge of God as well. So this morning, in order for us to do as we as we often say, make Jesus everything, we have a scripture that I want to sort of deconstruct so that we can make sure we understand it and understand the purpose of it in the life of someone who is following after Jesus. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's read beginning in verse 13. And we're only going to look at a verse and a half this morning. So the Apostle Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is the scripture where people with, again, with good intention, misquote this idea 
by saying God won't give you more than you can handle. They sort of take this idea of what Paul is saying, that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, and they sort of transpose that into the language of saying, God won't give you anything more than you can handle. Now, I'm going to do two things as we consider this scripture, this verse. First of all, I'm I'm going to tell you what Paul does not say. I want to correct the idea of what Paul does not say. And then the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to break down what Paul does say so that we can learn from that. So, the, the number one, the thing that Paul does not say. Paul does not say that God won't give you more than you can handle. That's just an axiom. It's a commonly accepted thought that's developed over the years in the church. And typically how that happens, you know, is, is, is someone who is, is uh, struggling with something in their life, perhaps comes to a pastor or to a brother and sister in the Lord, and they say, hey, listen, I'm struggling with this thing, I'm burdened by this sin or the situation in my life, and they say, will you pray for me? Great. We say, I'd love to pray for you, and we begin praying, and because we sort of have this scripture in mind as an encouragement, we pray, Lord, you've promised in your word that you're not going to give my brother and my sister more than they can handle. Again, well-intentioned, but just a little bit off the mark. And so we need to correct it. Here's the thing. Our whole life, apart from Jesus, is more than we can handle. There, There is truly nothing in our life that we ourselves can actually take care of by ourselves without God's help. On our own, apart from the Lord, we may have the appearance that we're doing okay for a period of time. We may look like we have our lives together. Things may be going well for us in in some sense or another. But at the end of the day, perhaps the end of our life even, apart from Jesus, our life is a failure on our own. There's nothing about our life that we can handle without Jesus. This is shown throughout the Bible as you read the Bible more and more and study it. You start to see even the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to this church in Corinth. Paul was a guy who he had to be really honest about his weaknesses and he confessed his weaknesses to the church. And he even said, I had this specific weakness. He called it a thorn in the flesh, something that was bugging him. And he told the church, I actually prayed to God three times that he would remove this trouble in my life. We don't know exactly what it was. We don't know if it was some medical condition, perhaps, or if there was a person that was just bugging Paul. And and Paul said, God, will you please take away this thorn in my flesh? And here's the answer that God gave to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, Paul, Jesus says, I get to be strong. So the guy who's writing this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is someone who had experience knowing that on our own, we're weak. We can't do anything apart from the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Again, we read in the Psalms earlier, you could read all throughout the Old Testament, the Psalms, how many references there are to people saying, Lord, without you, I'm just dead. I'm being dragged down to Sheol. I'm being dragged down to the grave. Apart from you, God, I can't have victory in anything in my life. It's all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout the Bible. And every single one of us in this room have to be honest. 
with ourselves and with God to say, when I fully rely on myself without help of any kind, specifically from the Lord, it usually ends up in a mess. I think most people could say amen to that. I know I can. So here's the thing. Paul does not say that God won't give us more than we can handle. Our entire life is more than we can handle apart from the Lord. But I want to focus the rest of our time on what Paul does say. Now, one of the big things about studying the Bible is understanding the context, why Paul is saying these words, what he is telling the church in these words. And Paul is specifically teaching something that we'll look at on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for our verse-by-verse study. Paul is warning the church and correcting the church about idolatry. Very specifically in this culture, the worship of idols. Even people in the church who know Jesus, who understand who God is, being tempted to turn away from worshiping God and begin worshiping idols. Let me give you this idea, and this is just a teaser for Wednesday night. This is what we'll discuss on Wednesday. Idols always revolve around one of two things, pleasure or power. So the idols that, that, are, that present themselves in our lives, and we think of idols in, in, in sort of like an Old Testament set, sense where there's this golden image that's set up, right? And people bow down to it and worship an, a golden image, an idol of some kind. Yes, but the reason why they worship those idols are always either pleasure or power. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday. But let's take a look again at verse 13 and break down what Paul does say to us. Verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This was the issue in the church, idolatry. Seeking after personal pleasure, seeking after personal power over and above obeying God. And that's the issue of idolatry. It's always the issue. It's putting something above the Lord. For you and I this morning, when we consider the idea of idolatry in our lives, we may not have little golden images or statues in our house that we bow down to and worship, but when we stop and consider what in our life we put above God for either our pleasure or an example of our power in life, there's all kinds of things that we can start to identify that actually are idols that we place above the Lord. So let's go back, take a look, and we're going to break this down, what Paul does say. Number one, he does not say that God won't give you more than you can handle, but here's what he does say. Number one, temptation is common to all mankind. There's not a single person on this earth who has not faced temptation of some kind. And when Paul talks about temptation, what he's talking about is Temptation to sin against the Lord, to disobey or rebel against God's instructions for us. Every single person is tempted. And so here's the thing. Whatever situation you're in in your life where you're feeling like you're being drawn away from God, you're being tempted to turn away from obedience to the Lord, you have to understand your situation is not unique. 
A lot of times in the, in the trouble that we have in our life, we always want to say things like, well, you know, my story is different. You know, the thing that I'm experiencing, it's, it's not the same as someone else. Well, the truth is, God says in his word here, that temptation is common to all mankind, including, mark this, including Jesus. The author of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15, says this, that we do not have a high priest, meaning Jesus, the one who stands before God in our place. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. What he's saying is that Jesus, when he was in, in the flesh here on earth, was tempted in every single way that you and I are tempted. See, we think about Jesus a lot of times as the guy in the robe with the blue sash and the long hair who sort of just floats around, right? Like he just floated and touched people and healed them, right? Like that's our image of Jesus sometimes. The truth is, is Jesus had his feet in the dirt. His hands were dirty. He was a carpenter. He was a guy who didn't stick out in a crowd. He was just somebody who was faithful to everything that God instructed him to do. Now, yes, He's God in the flesh, but when he was in the flesh, when he was like you and me as a human, he was tempted in every single way that you and I are tempted. That means that Jesus was tempted by greed. Jesus was tempted to be hateful towards someone. Jesus was tempted lustfully. He was tempted in all the ways that you and I are tempted. And while you and I fail under that temptation, we, the Bible says, fall short of God's glory. We rebel against God by disobeying his instructions. Here's the thing about Jesus. He never sinned. That's what makes Jesus so unique and so perfect to be the one to pay for our sins is that he never sinned. So while temptation is common for all of us, when we're facing temptation, we think about Jesus and how he was tempted, but he didn't sin. The second thing that Paul says here in this list, number one, temptation is common to all mankind. But the second thing that he says is that God is faithful. Perhaps you've gone through things in your life, situations in your life, things that are tragic, Perhaps you've experienced things that have perhaps shaken your faith in the reality of who God is. Maybe even caused you to question whether God was real or not. This is the declaration of scripture. This is the truth of what is real about God, that he is always faithful. Again, in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says this in, verse, in chapter 13, verse 8 says that Jesus, who is God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change. God doesn't change. He's always faithful to do what is best for you and for me, and he will always do what brings himself the most glory. This is what we know about God. He is faithful. The next thing Paul says here in this scripture is that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. We know that, number one, temptation is common to all of mankind, including Jesus. We know, number two, that God is faithful, that he never changes. And number three, we know that God will not let us be tempted beyond our ability to resist temptation. This is what is true. Not that God won't give you more than you can handle, but that God knows that you and I have a limit to the amount of temptation that we can come under and the limit to how much we can resist that temptation before we give in. This is what Paul says, is that God won't let you and me be tempted to a point that we can't resist anymore. Now, the reality of it is that even though we can resist the temptation that's in front of us, we're all really pretty weak. And so it doesn't take that much for us to give in, right? I always use the analogy of whether it's physical exercise or losing weight or learning a foreign language or learning a musical instrument, right? We, we start off strong and, and we're motivated and we got willpower and all those kinds of things. But the moment things start to get hard, we, we just fold like a house of cards. Boom, we're done, right? I just, one cheat day, one bad day, pizza and brownies, and I'm done for the next two months. It's like, I got to get back on track. This is ridiculous, right? And we're laughing because we're all agreeing, right? We know this is true. But here's the thing in that. Like, while we're weak, right, and, and, and we think, my goodness, I can't stand up to temptation. Here's what God's word is saying to us, is that he won't let us be tempted, specifically around the ideas of idols in our life, seeking out personal pleasure above God, seeking out personal power above God. God won't let us be tempted to a point where we can't resist that temptation. But here's the fourth thing that God says that's tied to that. This is so incredibly important. It says, but with the temptation, God will also provide the way of escape. This is huge. This is so huge. God doesn't just say, I won't tempt you too much. I'll tempt you just enough, but you know, if you're really good and you try really hard, you'll be able to resist it. So come on, willpower people. I'm not going to give you too much. Now you do your part. That's not what God says. In God's grace, he says, I'm not going to give you so much temptation that you can't resist it. But not only that, when you are tempted, God says, I'm going to give you the way to get out of that temptation. I'm going to give you the way to escape from the situation that is tempting you to sin against God. God will provide a way of escape from temptation. In just a second, I'm going to tell you what that is. But the fifth thing that, that Paul says here, he says, with the temptation, God will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. A lot of times we think that walking with Jesus, seeking after God, is all about that emotional quality. It's all about getting goosebumps at church. It's all about the idea of standing up for, for Jesus and a revival of some kind, right? Something that we can pound our chests about, something that we can write on a billboard or a sign and promote. A lot of times that's what we think faithfulness is. A lot of times that's what we think being for the Lord is. But can I tell you this morning that this, there's a word here that Paul uses. He says that God's going to provide a way to, to escape temptation that you may be able to, mark this word, endure it. Walking with Jesus is not about 
living on the mountaintops and, and, and showing the world how great we are for Jesus. That's not what walking with Jesus is. Walking with Jesus, more often than not, is simply enduring this life. Now, that may not be something you want to put on a bumper sticker. I'm just enduring, right? That's not the coffee cup, you know, go get them quote. But listen, walking with Jesus and the faithfulness of being obedient to the things that God has said, more often than not, is just quiet endurance. There's a temptation in front of me to, to worship something more than God. And I just endure it. I resist it. God gave me a way to escape it. And so I just do that. And I had a victory today in that. Praise God. I overcame one temptation. And then tomorrow, I'm going to be confronted not only with that temptation, but with some other temptation to rebel against God. And so my job is to just endure Walk faithfully with the Lord. Work out small obediences. You're never going to become this, this rock star Christian overnight. Number one, there are no such thing as rock star Christians. Number two, number two, our life in following after Jesus is quite simply this, that we would enter the gates of heaven, be greeted by Jesus himself, and have him say, well done. He doesn't say, hey, you aced it. Hey, perfect. You got, a, you got a perfect SAT score or a 4.0 GPA. No, no, no. He just goes, hey, well done. Well done. And, and here's how I hear that, okay? Listen, when Jesus tells us well done at the end of our life, here's what I think he's saying. Nice try. <laughs> I think that's it. I think he's just saying, nice try. You failed miserably, but that's why I went to the cross. So that you can just say, God, I believe in Jesus. He died to forgive my sins. I tried my best. It wasn't very good. But Jesus is the one that God's looking at anyway. Okay? So, so when Jesus, at the end of our life, says, well done, my good and faithful servant, we might scratch our heads and go, me? But the truth is, he's just saying, nice try. Good, good effort. Okay? So here's what, here's what Paul says, is that in the face of temptation, God is not going to give us more temptation than we can handle. He's going to provide a way for us to escape the temptation so that we might be able to endure, so that we, we might be able to keep giving this life of following Jesus our best shot. And so he leaves this idea with a command, a request, but a command really, a final instruction. And Paul says, therefore, because all this is true, because God's not going to give you more temptation than you can handle, but he's going to provide a way of, of escape for you so that you can endure the temptations. Paul says, because that's true, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And like I said, Wednesday, we'll study that a little bit more so that we can sort of zero in on what are the areas of idolatry in my life so that I can run away from them so that I'm not tempted to rebel against God, so that I just simply endure and, and, and walk more with Jesus than I, today than I did yesterday. Run away from idolatry. So here's the big question. We go, man, that's great. That's really encouraging, the fact that God tells us he's not going to give us more temptation than we can handle. In fact, he's going to give us a way of escape. Uh, what is it? 
Paul says it's there somewhere, right? But with the temptation, God will also provide the way of escape. Okay? What's the way of escape? How is it that we flee from temptation? How do we run away like Paul has instructed us to do? Very simply, and this may seem redundant to you. It may seem like this is what you hear at church all the time. It's definitely what you're going to hear from me all the time. But there's three things that God gives us. Three things that help us to escape from temptation, to flee from idolatry. The first is this. God's clear instruction against sin in the word of God. It's quite simply what it is. As we read the word of God, God gives us clear instruction about what is sin so that we know what it is we're supposed to avoid, so we know what it is that we're supposed to flee from and and resist the temptation of. So number one, how do we escape? Through the word of God. Read the word of God. Take it in. Chew on it. Do like the author of the psalm said, lay on your bed at night. And when you can't sleep, rather than grabbing your phone and watching more Netflix or whatever the heck it might be, scrolling through Instagram endlessly, stop and read a scripture and just chew on it, consider it, meditate on God's word in the late watches of the the night. God, what does that even mean? God, what do you want to say to me? The word of God helps us to run away and escape from temptation. The second thing is this. The conviction of the Holy Spirit helps us to escape temptation. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is going to convict all of mankind, not just Christians, but the Holy Spirit is going to convict all of mankind of three things. Sin, the Holy Spirit will convict us. He'll let us know when we're doing something that isn't godly. He's going to convict us of sin. He's going to convict us of judgment The fact that we're going to answer for our lives at the end of time, the Holy Spirit will convict us of that. But the Holy Spirit will also convict us of righteousness, meaning the Holy Spirit will convict us of what is right. The Holy Spirit's job is to point to Jesus in all things, okay? So when the Holy Spirit convicts all mankind of sin and judgment and righteousness, what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts is drawing us toward Jesus because what happened on the cross was that my sin and the sin of anybody who will believe upon Jesus, our sin is washed away. It's not on our account anymore. It's paid in full. Jesus took the punishment that I was supposed to get for my sin and he endured it so that I don't have to. And the final thing, the third thing that helps us to escape from temptation, the things that God provides for us to escape temptation, his word, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and number three, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you believe upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, when you say to God, God, I confess I'm a sinner and I repent, I'm sorry for my sin, please forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me into righteousness following after Jesus, then you and I are free from sin. It's still present, there's still temptation, but we're free from it. We're no longer the slave of sin. We now serve Jesus as our master. And we faithfully, quietly endure 
the temptation of this world, so that we might become more and more like Jesus day by day. Those are the three things that God gives us to run away and escape the temptation of sin. God's word, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ.